Hey, this is Joseph Massonary. I'm the pastor at Cornerstone, and this is our podcast. I want to thank you for joining us today. I hope this inspires you. I hope this helps you build your faith. I hope in some way that God will challenge you with a new perspective as you listen. Enjoy the message. Isn't it good to hear um, everyone's story? The morning, the testimonies, you come to church and you hear about what the Lord is doing or has done uh, in someone's life. It, 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 to me, it's a wonderful reminder of why we gather. Amen? Do you have a Bible this morning? Would you break it open and, and just jump to the very beginning? The book of Genesis chapter 4. And can we welcome anyone that is possibly streaming with us this morning and say hello, hello. It's always good to have those online and in person, however you are doing church today. If you were with us last Sunday, Pastor Greg shared a timely message um, that followed up our Heaven series, and he spoke about the authenticity of the Bible. If you were with us, he, he gave several reasons of why we believe the Bible is God's Word, why we believe it is the inspired Word written for us uh, for today, useful for so many issues. As we kind of uh, wrapped up that series in heaven, I thought it was interesting that we, we went right to a, 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 a teaching about settling this issue of biblical authority in your life. Because really, whether it's talking today about this subject matter called sin, kind of a subject we don't really like mentioning too much in church, or whether it's talking about this real place called heaven, if you haven't settled the issue of God's word, is it the inspired word of God, or deep down is there something inside you that, that still questions that, that still hasn't come to grips with that issue, its authenticity, its authorship, its biblical authority over your life, if you believe the Bible is the inspired Word of God, if you believe it's useful for us today, if it's useful for teaching, and also even sometimes correction, um, here is the big idea this morning. Are you ready for it? If all of Scripture is God-breathed, which Pastor Greg shared last week, and here's the big idea for this series. You might be looking at this graphic thinking, what on earth are we talking about today, right? But if all of Scripture, here's the idea as we set up the stage for a new series called The Unknown. If all Scripture is God-breathed, if all Scripture is useful for teaching and sometimes correction, <laughs> then why do we skip so much of it? Did you hear that, church? If all Scripture is, is, is useful for us today, why are there so many sections of the Bible we just tend to ignore? Maybe that seems like an awkward um, intro, an awkward question for us, to, uh, for us today. But, you know, when you look at your Bible, and I remember feeling this way as a kid, right? You'd look in your, in your Bible, and there'd be these books where somebody might in church say, well, find the book of Amos. And you're like, oh. <laughs> right? Back then, you used to love those Bibles with the tabs because it was like your little cheat sheet. Now we have our cell phones because that's an even better digital cheat sheet, right? But, you know, there's books called... Titus, and there's a book called Philemon, and there's books called Numbers, and Leviticus, and Amos, and Joel, that we often just tend to, am I right? If you've been in church a long time, do we just tend to kind of ignore them completely? Would you agree with that this morning? 
Like, when was the last time you heard a, 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 a teaching or a series on Obadiah? Exciting stuff, right? I mean, come on, Amos, some of these teachings. So, yes, some of these books are found in that Bible, too, right? The Bible is full of amazing stories like David and Goliath, these big stories. But it's also full of little stories, little moments, little chapters. And if all scripture is God-breathed, then each of these little stories deserves our attention. They deserve our, our devotion. They deserve our, our time because each page of the Bible is pointing us, church, it's pointing us to, in some way, the ultimate hope that we have, the ultimate need that we have for a Savior. It's pointing us to that ultimate hope of God sending His Son Jesus, the hope for humanity. This redemption story through Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The overall theme of, of Scripture is always pointing out this desire by the Creator to be with and to be present with His creation, to be present with His problem. But so often, we are going to begin this morning by talking about an issue that all of us have right off the bat. It's this word, it's a little three-letter word that we don't like mentioning too often in church even, let alone culture or society because we don't want to recognize any form of biblical authority in our, in our culture today, but it's this word called sin. And this word is a problem. This sin issue is a problem. When you look at Genesis chapter 4, if you open your Bible, you can look at it and kind of see that not much has changed in the thousands of years since Genesis chapter 4. Not much has changed. Let's look at what happens here. Can we look at verse 7 really, really quick? Do you have a Bible this morning? You good to go? Do you have an iPhone? You good to go? You got your sermon notes ready to roll? Somebody just say yes. We're, we're, we're in the house. All right. Here it is. Genesis chapter 4 verse 7. Watch out. Sin is crouching at the door. Eager to control you, but you must subdue it and be its master. This is very accurate today, yet possibly not a subject that my ears are always itching to hear. Because there's something in each of us that we, if, if we really are honest, we want to be liked, don't we? We want to be accepted in culture. We want to be liked we want to have relationships and lots of friendships, whatever it is. It doesn't matter what generation you're a part of. That's something that all of us have to deal with from time to time is dealing with this issue that we want to be liked. We want people to be cool with us. And then we talk about this sin word, and it tends to, can we say it, tends to ruin the mood sometimes. Well, how do we deal with sin? Let's look at what God said to Cain just if you have your Bible, would you just look back at like verse six? Verse, just look back a couple verses and see like the, the context here. God said, Cain, you will be accepted if you do what is right. Cain, you're, you'll be accepted if you do what is right. But if you refuse to do what is right, then we pick it up. He says, then watch out because sin is crouching at the door. Only through obedience, the Lord says, you've you got to obey my words. For us today, this would look like only through obedience to the word of God can we, even, can we even begin to recognize that sin is a problem. Only through getting into God's word do we even begin to realize that sin 
is an issue. And that's a big problem for us today because we live in a time and a culture where we don't even want to acknowledge that we have a sin problem. We don't even want to acknowledge that there is truth, that there is truth that we believe in, in God's word. We, 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 we use terms like your own truth. You ever hear that? Like anybody love to watch, I, I mean, a few guilty players, like any, anybody like watching The Bachelor? I, I, we don't watch that one anymore, but we used to years ago. Some honest people in church. There's a common phrase that they love to use on TV shows these days, and it's called your truth. Your truth. As if each of us can decide what is true for ourselves is what culture will dictate and, and tell us is okay and acceptable. But when the reality, when you make a decision to follow Christ, it is also a decision to get into his word, know his word, and actually follow his word. Romans chapter 6, verse 16. Would you read this with me? Paul writes, don't you realize that you become the slave of whatever you choose to obey? You become a slave to whatever it is you choose to participate in. You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. For the believer, if we have accepted Jesus, if we've made a commitment to follow Jesus, then here is the first question I have for you today. Would you write this down in your notes this morning, I don't think it's in there. You gotta, you gotta make your own space in your notes this morning. Is that okay? If we have Jesus with us, present, dwelling in us, the Holy Spirit, then why are believers often so unsuccessful at mastering sin? Why are believers often so unsuccessful at dealing with our sin? Well, I'll give you a few reasons why. Would you write this first one down? Often we, we don't remember we have God's power. And because we don't remember we have God's power, we don't even begin to use God's power. We don't even walk in the Spirit. Scripture says that God has given us divine power for everything. Someone turn to someone on your left and just say everything. Not some things, not little things, not a few things. It says He's given us power for everything we need to live what? To live a godly life. Often we can even make our own choices. One of the things we love about our Heavenly Father, I love that there was a movie um, back in the day where Morgan Freeman played God and Jim Carrey was in the movie and he said, how do you make people fall in love with you without affecting their free will? And Morgan Freeman looked at him and he was playing God in that movie and he said, well, there's the question. God always gives people a choice. And God won't override our choices and so often even when we accept Jesus we still make foolish choices if we aren't walking in his power and then the third thing oftentimes we're gonna see this a little bit today sin has convinced us it's more beneficial than obedience you know you think about it when we sin in that moment we think what we want what we see what we want to go after we think it's going to be more beneficial than obedience it's really a, a simple recipe Right? 1 Corinthians 15, verse 56. And this is perhaps the statement I want to leave us with today and think upon the most today because we're going to pick this series up next week. We're going to pick up right where we left off. But Paul writes this. He says, would you read it with me? The sting of death is sin. And the power of sin 
is the law. Would you underline the last half of that verse? This kind of might make us scratch our head a little bit, but I want to get to the heart of this statement this morning. The power of sin is what? Somebody say it. The law. Now, he's not necessarily, not necessarily talking about the, the laws of Moses. He's not necessarily talking about the, the, the Ten Commandments here. But Paul is addressing a, a mindset. There's lots, there's many laws in the Bible that we need to follow and are good things. But this, this kind of, would you underline that? This kind of makes me scratch my head a, a little bit. The power of sin is the law. Paul's addressing this type of thought that we might have from time to time. It's thoughts like, you know, I, I, shouldn't, I shouldn't watch that comedy skit because I know it's going to be full of F-bombs and all kinds of words and things I shouldn't be filling my mind with or my ears with. But, oh, you know, I, I just really kind of want to do it. Right? It's talking about like this, this, this obedience to rules. The power of sin is the law. It, it, it's kind of like saying, you know, I know I shouldn't glance at that pretty lady across the room, but I just, I just, I, I know I shouldn't do it, but deep down, there's something in me. Or it's kind of like, like as a Christian, saying, man, I know I need to, 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 to make sure, I know I need to make sure I, I give or tithe this week, but just begrudgingly, I'm just going to kind of begrudgingly do it. Paul identifies this attitude. If you look at this scripture, it's kind of an attitude of, are you restricted by God's word? Or are you delighted to follow God's word? Would you write that down in your notes this morning? Does, does a relationship with Jesus feel restrictive? Does a relationship with Jesus make you feel stuck even? Right? David, he, in Psalm chapter 40, verse 8, David writes, he says, I take joy in following your will. He writes, my God, your instructions are written on my heart. It says, your, your will, your instructions, the roadmap you have left for my life, it is written on my heart. In essence, this sums up this, this attitude of, of rules that Paul is talking about. It's like, you know, I, I'd like to do that, but God's word and all kind of just gets in the way of fun. Right? You know, there's rules and all. I got I to gotta follow the rules. God's word is just kind of, it's, it's, it feels a little restrictive from time to time. Well, I'm going to tell you this morning, there is a perfect example of this type of thinking in the Bible, and it's an obscure story in the book of Numbers chapter 22. Would you open up your Bible this morning? Numbers chapter 22, and this is where we are going to hang out and stay for the rest of uh, service today. There's a little bit of an obscure story as we talk about some stories that are a little bit more unknown in the Bible. This message this morning, I titled it, A Prophet Who is Out of Sync. He doesn't want to be a fool for you, living in a game for two. I'm teasing. Bye, bye, bye. No, a prophet who's out of sync. An unknown prophet who we don't talk about too often who is out of sync. It's funny, I'm a child of the 90s, and those are the only in-sync lyrics I could hear. And guilty as charged, I listened to in-sync a lot back in the day. Anyways, any guys with me on that one? Or I mean, kind of, it, it just happened, right, Sean? I mean, you guys did the Backstreet Boys at every wedding. That was just kind of what happened. It's a, it's a chapter we're not proud of, but we, we went there. Yeah, it is. 
Oh, goodness. Numbers chapter 22. Are you ready for this story? Let's tell it. Let's get into God's word this morning. Then the Israelites, they traveled to the plains of Moab and camped along the Jordan across from Jericho. Now Balak, son of Zippor, saw all that Israel had done to the Amorites. A little bit of context here is important to keep in mind. This king of Moab and all the people flat out were terrified because they look out across the horizon and they see the Israelites headed their way. The Israelites, just so you know, in this moment in their journey and their history, they had just left Egypt. They had just been set free from the most powerful nation in the world. And the way they left Egypt, probably the news got out that this was not a good thing for Egypt. The greatest power in history at that time, the nation of Egypt, their military, we could, we could say their agriculture, the plagues had ravaged their society, their economy had just been devastated by the Israelites. This, this people is leaving Egypt and they just leave Egypt a broken mess. They come out of Egypt and Egypt is on a rapid decline, so much so that even every firstborn son has been mysteriously killed because of these Israelite people. And so a little bit of context in this story the king of Moab, his name is Balak, he looks out and he sees, man, these Israelites, <laughs> they just left Egypt in shambles. The Bible tells us that they swiftly destroyed the Amorites and King Balak and his people are worried that these Israelites are now headed their way. How many of you know this, is, <laughs> this would not be a good thing? So Balak who was king of Moab at the time. Look at verse 5 with me, if you would. He, he sent messengers to summon Balaam. This man, Balaam, is a prophet who was near the Euphrates River in his native land. Balak said, a people, of e a people has come out of Egypt. They cover the face of the land, and these people have settled next to me. Now come, Balaam, and put a curse on these people because... They are too powerful for me. Perhaps then I will be able to defeat them and drive them out of the land, for I know that whoever you bless is blessed and whoever you curse is cursed. Let's hold on right there. King, King uh, Balak was informed of this powerful prophet, a prophet who we'll get into it more next week, who recognized God, had some type of relationship with the Lord because of the way he, he references him as Yahweh the Lord. Balaam is a prophet who had this gift. If he cursed a person, it would happen. And if he blessed someone, they would be blessed and good things would happen to them. So the king of Moab, he gets desperate. He says, let's, let's, let's see what's going to happen. Let's see if we can get Balaam, this prophet, to curse these people. Would you look at verse 8 with me, church? You still with me? All right, verse 8, here we go. Spend the night here, Balaam said to them. Remember, he's talking to the, the messengers. And I will report back to you with the answer the Lord gives me. 
So the Bible tells us the Moabite officials stayed with him. Verse 9, God came to Balaam and asked, Who are these men with you? How many of you know, usually whenever God asks you a question, He knows the answer. How many of you know, even in Scripture, many times it's recorded, God tends to ask people a question, right? He always tends to know the answer. Think of Jonah and Nineveh, different things going on, right? He says, Balaam, who are these men with you? I think sometimes God asks us questions because he wants to understand what we have done, where we are at, and what we are planning to do. Number one, first mistake that we see from this prophet out of sync with his God. Number one, would you write this down, and this might sound like so anti-church to you and something you haven't heard, but write this down. Number one, there are some things you do not need to pray about. Would you write that down in your notes today? There are some things you do not need to pray about. I think there's a little bit of this tone when God, look at verse 9. God came to Balaam and asked, who are these men with you? I had to get into this scripture. I think, I think God's literally probably, he, he, want, he would probably say, Balaam. Any parents, you ever feel like your kids sometimes just ask you things? That they know what kind of answer they're going to get, yet they just keep asking. Parents, I see some kids in here with guilty smiles. We're like, yeah, I do that from time to time, right? I think God is even, he, he's probably responding saying, Balaam, are you seriously even going to ask me that question? Right? Husbands, wives, and marriage, sometimes we mess around and we ask our wives questions like that, like just to see what their response will be. Anybody ever guilty of that? I've done that before, right? Are you seriously even going to ask me? I think God would even say it like this. Balaam, are you really going to ask me if I'm going to curse the people that I just brought out of Egypt? I just parted the Red Sea for these folks. I just killed the firstborn of Egypt. These are my people. This is my relationship. These are my chosen people. This is my covenant. Balaam, are you going to pray are you going to actually pray and ask me if I should break my covenant? Because you know I am Yahweh. You know I am You know I cannot, will not even consider that. I'm God. I can't do it. Are you really going to even ask me that question? Balaam, why do you need to pray about this? Balaam, the answer should be obvious to you. Here's the thing that we do sometimes once we become Christ followers, right? We, we live our lives in such a way that... Sometimes we already know God's answer, and we know it because he's already written it down. We know it because he's already addressed it in Scripture, but there's something in us that we like to kind of like see how close we can get to the fire without getting burned. We like to see how close can I get to sin without really getting stuck in it. How, how close can I get to that, that, that bait without getting hooked? But there's some things you don't need to pray about. I mean, we could go through a list of things we do not need to pray about, but I was thinking of a few. The Bible says you don't need to pray about attending church. We do this sometimes, like, right? Should I, should I go to church today? Should I go once every six months? Should I go to this new church because they have a really cool slide that drops into their children's ministry building and it's amazing, right? right? Or whatever it is. Like, you take your pick. I don't even know, right? 
But like the Bible says, you don't need to pray about attending church. Hebrews 10.25 says, let us not neglect meeting together as some people do. It's addressed in scripture. It's there, right there. You don't need to pray about giving an offering. 1 Corinthians 9.14 says, the Lord ordered that those who preach the good news should be supported by those who benefit it. You don't need to pray about entering into a, a, a bedroom type relationship. You know what I'm saying? Like you don't need to pray about entering in. You don't need to pray about like hooking up with a boyfriend or a girlfriend because it's been addressed in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. You don't need to pray about entering into a homosexual relationship because it's been addressed in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. There's some things you don't need to pray about. You don't need to pray about cheating on your taxes. Right? Like, you don't, there's some things, like, it's crystal clear. When we just go to the Ten Commandments, the Bible says, Thou shall not steal. Right? And the list could go on and on, and we could go after commandment after commandment written down in Scripture. But the reality is, Scripture makes God's Word abundantly clear. And the story I get from this prophet Balaam, a prophet out of sync, out of step with the Lord, is that he begins to pray about something he already knows the answer to. He begins to give sin... A seat at the table he, he leaves that door just a little a little bit cracked instead of slamming the door shut can we jump into verse 10 you still with me here Balaam said to God Balak he's talking to the king it's hard to get these names correct Balak son of Zippor king of Moab send me this message a people that has come out of Egypt covers the face of the land now come and put a curse on them for me Perhaps then I will be able to fight them, and perhaps with your, your curse, I'll help drive them away. But look at verse 12. But God said to Balaam, would you underline this? This is important to remember because God addresses this prayer. He gives Balaam a few shots here. He says, do not go with them. Sounds like a pretty clear directive. God's clear on that. Do not what? Balaam, do not go with them. I don't know how else you want me to tell. Curfew is at 12 midnight, not 1 a.m., 12 whatever, right? Balaam, do not go with them. You must not put a curse on these people because they are blessed. In essence here, God says, Balaam, since I have to spell this out for you, Balaam, since you clearly don't get it, let me just write it down. Let me just be very direct Balaam, do not go. Have you figured it out? Right? Verse 13. The next morning, Balaam got up and said to Balak's officials, go back to your own country. For the Lord has refused to let me go with you. Now, at first glance, I read verse 13. And to me, I read it and I'm like, I want to, I want to give him a pat on the back. Good job, bro. You listen to the Lord. Good job. You want a medal? You want a cookie? Right? Good job. But then you, you kind of slow down and look at the, the language here used in verse 13. It's almost like a friend who, who couldn't go to the party he wanted to go to. I'll talk about this a little bit more. But look at this word. Would you underline the word? It's, Balaam says, the Lord has refused. The Lord's refused. He's refused to let me go with you. He's refused to let me go. It's, it's like Balaam is obedient, but if we really, really catch it through 
little, little cues, little, little verbal cues that he gives us. It's almost like he's obedient, but begrudgingly obedient. Begrudgingly so. He doesn't say, you know what he does not say, what we don't pick up here? He doesn't say, uh, God's will is crystal clear on my life. God's will is crystal clear on my calling. I will not go. I will not be associated with that. Those people are God's chosen covenant people. Stop messing around. You Moabites, King, Balak, you need to just like, you know, you need to get with the program. You need to wave the white flag because these are God's chosen people. Don't mess with them. Notice he doesn't say that. Kind of like, what's, what's in it for me? God, God refused to let me go. This kind of feels like a kid. Think of like, how many of us can remember being excited for like the Friday night football games? And then all the, <laughs> I don't know if you remember, like all the, all the chaotic things that would always follow a Friday night football game. Some of us, right? We, right? Come on, we're not that, do we remember those days? And how your parents would be like, no, your curfew is at this time because I know nothing good is going to happen after 11 p.m. After 12 a.m., nothing good is going to happen, right? It's almost like preparing to go out with your friends. You're ready for the party. You're dressed up. You're ready. They show up. Uh, they knock on the house. They knock on the door. And they say, hey, you ready to go? And you answer the door. And instead of saying, you know what? Guys, it is my family night. I'm excited to hang out at home. I'm excited to be with my parents. I'm going to honor their decisions. It's like you answered that door and you said, you know... I really want to go. I want to go get hammered later, if you know what I'm saying. Whatever it is. I really, it, it's okay to say that. We have kids' classes, and it is a kid. You should put them there, if, right? There's, if that's too much for you, right? But it's like saying, I really want to go party with my friends, but my parents and their rules are restricting me. My parents and their, you know, they're, they, 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 they're restraining me. I'm, I'm handcuffed here. You know, I want to I take part, but I'm, I'm kind of stuck. Look at verse 14. So the Moabite officials returned to Balak, and they said, King, Balaam has refused to come with us. Verse 15, then Balak sent other officials, and here we go. Don't miss this. These new officials come. They're more numerous. And they're more distinguished than the first. Translation, man, they got power, they got titles, they got money, they have reputation, they are connected. Would you underline that? More numerous, more distinguished than the first. And these distinguished people, they came and they said to Balaam, this is what Balak, the son of Zippor, says. Look at verse 16. Do not let anything... Balaam, don't let anything keep you from coming to me because I will reward you handsomely. There it is. I will buy you. I will pay you. I will appeal to you. And, I'll, and do whatever you say. I will reward you handsomely and do whatever you say. Come and put a curse on these people for me. Notice the king, he gets repetitious, but he ups the ante. He ups the offer. What's your price? What's the, hey, Balaam, what's the price for your integrity? I remember being at a men's camp years ago with one of our pre president, Jim Scott, at the time, one of our vice presidents of our Foursquare movement, and he looked right at each of us men, and he said, what's your price? Because everyone here has a price. We'll see what Balaam's is, but this king, Balak, may have just found it. He may have found the weak spot for this prophet. 
He, may, he, he, he upped the offer, more prestige, more money, more position. I remember this saying when I was a kid, and I don't know if you remember it, but remember we used to say, we used to joke, and I don't even know where this came from, if it was a, a joke, a thing. We used to say, the devil made me do it. Anybody remember that? Like this devil behind every door type, right? Wasn't that a saying? It was a what? It was a comedian, was it? See, you learn something new every day. So as a, whatever it was, it caught on. Was it when I was a kid? I remember this saying, and this was, this was in America, the devil made me do it. How many of us remember that type of joke, type of thinking? Okay, it was, yeah, it must have landed, because I remember like growing up hearing about it. But number two, here's the second thing I want to point out. It's a misconception. While that joke might be funny, from a scriptural standpoint, it is totally inaccurate. Number two, would you write this down? The devil cannot make a believer do anything. Whoa, hello, right? So while that saying is catchy and fine, I remembered it from when I was a kid, right? It is totally biblically inaccurate. The devil can entice us, but the Bible says that's all he can do. The devil cannot make a believer do anything. James chapter 1, verse 14, would you read this with me? But each one of us is tempted when he is drawn away by his own, oh my goodness, here it is. He's drawn away by what? His own desires, and he is enticed. Would you write that word down, enticed? I love this, this temptation type word. This, we are enticed. You know, you cannot be enticed by something you don't already want in the first place. Right? You can't be tempted by something you already hold. Deep down, there's something inside you that, that wants to just dip that big toe in the pool. We're enticed by that sin, but deep down, there's something in my nature that desires it. And boy, oh boy, is the enemy of your soul clever. You know, think about it. What does the Bible say the enemy's job? He wants to kill. He wants to steal. He wants to destroy everything about you. He wants to destroy everything you love, everything you've worked for. He wants to destroy everything about your family's future. And guess what? He knows how to do it. For years and years, the enemy studies. He knows your habits. He knows your hobbies. He knows your secrets. He knows your father's father's secrets. He knows the sins that are passed down from generations. The enemy knows where to attack because he studied your life. He studies your tendencies. The enemy knew Balaam very, very well. Can we say it like this? He knew this prophet possessed this desire to be known. How many of us have like a desire, right? This desire to be known, this desire to be liked, this desire to attain prestige, this desire for riches, for a name, for rewards. And maybe most of all, I think we could identify this in our culture alive and well today, even if it's fake, but it's this desire for status. Even if it's fake status, you could call it fattest. I'm teasing, dad joke. Dad joke 101, right? But this desire for status, that was bad. Justin's like, I love you, bro, but that was bad, Joe. Verse 18, but Balaam answered them, even if Balak gave me all the silver and gold in his palace, I could not do anything great or small to go beyond the command of the Lord my God. Again, this response to me seems, if I read it quickly, it seems passionate it seems direct it seems honorable even but then look at 
kind of look at what is said here. He says these little passive words that we can't miss. He says, I could not. You notice he doesn't say, I will not. He doesn't say, I will not. I don't, don't even think about it. Get these guys out of here. I'm going I'm to, you show up at my house once again, I'm going to be waiting for you, right? He says, I, I could not. Almost like, like, you know, I'd really like to help you. I'd really like to help, but I can't. I'd really like to be a part of this, but I can't. And look at, we are not talking about somebody's rich uncle. We're not talking about the type of riches and the type of status that like, hey, each of us have like a connected neighbor or somebody at work or like in Vegas, everybody knows somebody in Vegas, right? We're talking about he is being offered the riches and the rewards from the king of an entire nation. We're not talking about like thousands or millions. This, he's like, hey, instant billionaire like that. Well, I'd like to help, but I can't. Let's see what happens. Verse 19. Now spend the night here so that I can find out what else the Lord will tell me. So you really, really connected messengers. You're, you're, you're way more distinguished. You're way more rich. Come over here. Spend the night here so that I can find out what the Lord will tell me. Basically, Balaam says, stay the night here because I'm going to pray again. I think it's interesting. What would have happened if Balaam just would have said, get the you-know-what out of here and go home? The answer is no, fool, right? What if he, like, notice he's like, well, you guys brought more prestige. You brought more money. You brought more connections. You brought more status. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray about it again. I'm going to keep praying about it. Because maybe if I keep praying about it, God will change his mind. Maybe that's what will happen. Maybe if I keep praying, God will change his mind. Well, let me tell you what happens. That's exactly what happens. He keeps praying about it, and look what happens here. That night, God came to Balaam, and he said, Since these men have come to summon you, go with them. But do only what I tell you to do. So like a kid that drives you crazy that keeps asking the same question over and over and over. And as a parent, you've given him the answer. What, what happens? Balaam, he, he, he prays so much about, about this that God actually gives him what his motives are actually praying for. God's response changes. He says, go with them. But do only what I tell you. How many of you read this and you go, wait, what? He just said, did God, did God just change his mind? What happened here? God just changed his mind. God, God you, you clearly said earlier, do not go with them. Balaam, do not go with them. It was clear as can be. Stop sign, emergency sign. Don't go with them. And now he says, okay, go. But only do what I tell you to do. We're going to pick this story up next week right here so if you want to study scripture this week go for it numbers chapter 22 we're going to pick up right after this the bible tells us so balaam saddles up he's obedient to god but look what happens look what happens verse 21 balaam got up in the morning he saddled up his donkey and he went with the moabite officials but look at verse 22. Did God turn into some type of schizophrenic God? Did he, what is going on? Verse 22. But God was very angry when he went. 
Is this story confusing to anyone else? Right? He saddled his donkey. He went with the Moabite officials. He did what God told him to do. But God was very angry with he went, when he went. Balaam is doing exactly what he was instructed to do the night before. Yet it's very clear God is not happy with him. We're going to pick this up next week. But this story revolves around the heart of that very first scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 56. 56. This heart of this scripture, the sting of death is sin, but would you underline it, circle it, but the power of sin is the law. You see, this sin problem is nothing new. We're going to continue to talk about the power of sin is the law next week. But we often, as Christians, we kind of get flimsy and wishy-washy, and we lose hope, and we kind of just keep walking. Even though we're following Jesus, we develop this lifestyle that still tolerates and even often participates in this sin problem. Number three, would you write this down as we close? Number three, you know as a Christ follower, you can be completely free from the power of sin. That's what scripture declares over your life and over my life. Second Peter verse one, chapter one, verse two, it says, grace and peace be yours in abundance. Grace and peace is yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Look at verse 3. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life. Do you believe that scripture? His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life. Through our knowledge. Oh, there it is. Through our knowledge. You know how we have everything we need for a godly life? It's by getting knowledge of Him. How do we get knowledge of Him? Oh, we have to kind of read about Him. Show up and talk about Him, right? Him who has called us by His own glory and His own goodness. See, we have something Cain and Abel have. We have the Son of God. You know, we, how many of you enjoyed that series on heaven? We had a lot of responses about our, our series on heaven. Heaven is great. Heaven is for real. Heaven is an amazing location that we cannot wait to get to, that we should live our lives excited for. But can I say it like this? Jesus didn't die just so we can punch our ticket to heaven and be all hunky-dory and hang out and be cool. Jesus also died so that we can be set free from the power of sin. He died so we can be set free from the power of death. This divine power that's mentioned, it talks about it, right? It's only possible through God's grace. It's meant to accomplish what you and I can never accomplish for ourselves. So as great as heaven is going to be, Jesus also came to set his people free from sin. The Bible says to put on the what? The full armor of God, right? It doesn't just say put on the boots or put on the chest plate or put on the helmet. Put on the full armor of God so that you can strengthen yourself by meditating on the word of God so that it is living and it is flowing through you, that its words are written on your heart. Sometimes we don't even realize that we've been equipped with any armor, let alone actually put it on and, and use it and function in it. And oftentimes we don't do it because we can't get over what we've done. Bible tells us that he has forgiven us, that he's made us new, but oftentimes we're the last people to believe in forgiveness for ourselves. Would somebody say amen to that? Right? We don't, like, we don't walk in that forgiveness, in that grace, because we can't get over our past failures, and we can never see that God sees our future. God sees what he has called us to become through that grace, through that covering, through that forgiveness. How do we access this power? 
One of the greatest ways we can do it is by daily checking ourselves, daily repenting, daily praying, daily talking to the Lord. One of the things I think that's interesting is daily asking the Lord, God, what area in my life have I given sin a seat at the table? Like what, just, it could be a little, a little bit, right? Because we, we think of sin as these massive big screw-ups, but like oftentimes it starts with something so small. And our God is so holy that, gosh, he, he, can't, he can't be around it. He can't be a part of it. But repenting for the ways that we've given sin a seat at the table and then daily thanking him for setting us free from that sin, from that guilt, from that shame because of Jesus. Let's bow our heads. Let's pray, church. Heavenly Father, we come and we thank you today. God, as we, we get into your word, Lord, help us remember that there is power not only in the name of Jesus, but there's power in the truth of your word. God, that there's some things laid out for us so clearly that unlike Balaam, God, we don't need to pray about things that are clear in Scripture. There are some things we don't need to approach you with our requests because you already gave us the answer in your word. Lord, help us to armor up. God, help us to remember the devil can't make us do anything. But God, to run from that snare, run from that sin which so easily entangles us, entices us. God, we want to be free from that power of sin. If you want to experience life in its fullness, then there's only one way to start that journey. As Christ followers, we believe that receiving salvation through God's Son, it's, it's, it's salvation through a name, and that name is Jesus Christ. It's salvation through a process, and that process was His death on a cross, made a way for us to approach and enter the kingdom of a holy God. And that gift is available to us. It's available to you. It's available to me. But the Bible says we need to just do a couple things. One is acknowledge your sin. Sin is that, that, that thing that we all do when we do not measure up. We do not meet the expectations laid before us in Scripture. So we need to acknowledge our sin. We need to then acknowledge your Savior. That Savior's name is Jesus. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life that no one come to the Father except through the Son, through me. And when we accept that, when we acknowledge that, we receive salvation. Repentance is a choice. It's a choice to walk away from your obedience to one thing. Oftentimes, it's obedience to sin and walk into obedience and relationship to the one who gave his life for you, and his name is Jesus. Is that something you want to do this morning? Would you just lift your eyes, or would you just lift your hand and say, I want to walk away from my obedience to sin, and I want to walk to a relationship with Jesus. If that's you, would you just lift your hand? One, two, and three. Would you just lift your hand? I see you over there. I see you three over here. I see you in the back. I see you there, young man in the middle. I see you, old man in the middle. I see you over there. Amen. Can we pray Romans chapter 10, verse 9 as we close? There were some hands that went up today. I want to encourage you. There's Bibles in the back. There are people in the back that want to pray with you and talk to you. But here's what Romans chapter 10 says, verse 9 through 10. I'm going to read it to you, and this will be our moment today. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God. And it is by 
openly declaring your faith that you are saved. So for those seven, ten hands that went up today, it is by openly declaring your faith, you are now made right with God. You are saved. So you can walk in that salvation. You can walk in that forgiveness. You can walk into a bright future being totally different than what you were yesterday. God, we thank you for your son. We thank you for the hope we have in Jesus. We thank you for the, the change and the covering that we have in Jesus. In your name, all God's people said amen. Can we celebrate new life in the house? Amen, amen. God bless you. This morning as you go, we want to make sure, I don't see Pastor Jen over there, maybe Mama C or Evan can go to the back table, but we have Bibles and we have New Believers books on the back table in the back. Would you go and grab one? Would you high five someone on your way out and say, hey, we want to walk in revival. I want to be a church. We don't want to pray for revival, but let's move and walk in it. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful Sunday. Thank you for joining us today, and a special thanks to those who give to Cornerstone. You know, it's because of you, our ministry, it's possible. Uh, you can click the link in the description to give now or visit us at cornerstonelv.com. And if you enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe, you can share it with friends, share it with family, help us spread God's word. You can also join us live every Sunday. We invite you, 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. We stream service live. Thank you again for listening.